Welcome back to the Buddy Ruski Show, a podcast about origin stories. This is episode 21. My guest today is Josh Harmon. Josh is a comedian and writer based in New York City. He and I became fast friends during my first stint as a teacher with Putney Student Travel, an experiential learning program based in Vermont. We talk about his picturesque upbringing in New Jersey, playing music at an early age with his older brother Michael, and why every kid in his school was fighting to get into Yale. From there, we get into his time as a student at Amherst College, teaching with Putney, and the power that the Putney magic, you can't see the air quotes here, has on its students as well as its leaders. Finally, we cover what it takes to be a content creator and how the addicting pursuit of social media success ultimately leaves you empty. Over the pandemic, Josh has become somewhat of an internet sensation with his Rhythms of Comedy series, racking up millions of views and even a spot on The Tonight Show. But internet fame isn't all it's cut out to be. What exactly is internet fame cut out to be? Anyway, be sure to follow Buddy Ruski on social or sign up for the newsletter at BuddyRuski.com. All right, y'all. This was a fun one. Here's Josh Harmon. Josh Harmon, it is so nice to have you on the Buddy Ruski Show today. Thanks for being here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure to be here. This <laughs> this is great uh, and a wonderful excuse for us to catch up and talk about things. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, normally on the show, I try to think about where I've met the person that I've interviewed because usually the people that I'm talking to are folks that I know through other work or childhood or something like that. And it has taken me a little while each time the last few episodes to to really nail it and this one it's like i got it i couldn't forget it even you if i tried well, yeah you can't forget you can't forget it uh <laughs> i guess f- folks that have followed me uh for a little while now know that i taught a couple times for a program based out of vermont uh, putney vermont called putney student travel and that is uh where josh and i met for the first time on that fateful day mm. uh Back in 2018, yes, on campus I believe, at Amherst College. I believe there was charcuterie. There was Perrier. <laughs> Plenty of uh, what? It, polar seltzer waters. Yeah, there's sel- there seltzers abound. Uh, it was terrific. That was a wonderful summer. We both uh, we taught classes on subjects which we have. Well, that was our cover. Uh, yeah, <laughs> varying levels of expertise, and uh, we just had a wonderful time up in the mountains. It was great. Well, I'd love to rewind from there uh, about as far back as you're willing to go and hear a little bit about uh, your upbringing. You're, you're my second Northeasterner in a row. Mm. Uh, most of the folks I've talked to are either from North Carolina, from the Durham area, or from out west um but the last person i had on the show is uh from connecticut now lives in new york and i know you're a, a yankee uh as they say That's so guilty <laughs> uh yeah t- tell me a little bit about sort of like you know what life was like growing up for josh Harmon and, and how we got to where we are now well i was i was born in the deep south and my <laughs> my only music teacher was the railroad <laughs> No, I, 
I had a really sort of picturesque suburban childhood. Where are you from? I'm from Short Hills, New Jersey. And that's where Jersey. I am right now. The Dirty Jers. The Dirty Jers. Uh, yeah, Short Hills, New Jersey. And but the town where I'm from, I would describe it. It's basically a bunch of stressed out kids in very big houses all trying to get into Yale. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the MO around here. But I have a wonderful family, two extremely loving parents, and a brother, Michael, who's two years older than me, who we also know from Putney. And is he gonna? He's not gonna make a guest appearance on the show, is he? No, he he's 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 in Florida right now. He he just left a couple hours ago. So it's just I'm Aww. ruling the roost right now. Yeah. <laughs> finally, finally out of his shadow. <laughs> he's in Florida. He's two years older than me, and. Basically, I mean, I started playing drums when I was three and a half, four years old. And Michael was also, he started playing music around the same time that I did. And so we just would always play together. Are your parents musically inclined? Uh, Our dad plays piano, but he doesn't play much anymore. And apparently my mom played the flute uh, in high school, but really not. Uh, so much and uh, your grandparents aren't really musical so no one's really sure where exactly it comes from but Michael and I both just had this musical connection from a very very young age after dinner every night he played piano and I played the drums we would go and jam every night after dinner from that was like ages four until you know Yesterday. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, And then we went to the same college, Amherst College, go go Mammoths. And we continue to play music there. And then still to this day, it's it's always like just my whole life, it's always been the Harmon Brothers Band. I mean, since I literally since before I could even remember. So uh, that has always been just a big part of my life, not only because I, I loved music, but because it was very social too, like it was something I was doing with my brother. It was a big way that we connected. And then it was a big way that we also made friends in high school, being in band, you know, forming bands or jam sessions or things like that. And in college too. So it's just always been a big part of my life. Musically speaking. Was the idea ever that you, were you thinking this whole time that you would pursue a professional career in music as you were getting older and thinking about, you know, what would I want to do when I got older uh, was, was be a musician sort of at the top of the list? No, it, it never was. It was always just like something I did. I think the first time that I ever performed in front of a crowd was at sleepaway camp. Michael and I, <laughs> we went to the same sleepaway camp as well. Uh, camp Emerson up in the Berkshires. We went there for many years and we loved it. And they had instruments just like in the camp. And then eventually they like had music lessons and things that you could take more officially. But when we started going, there was like counselors who played music and it was sort of an informal thing. And Michael and I would take this, take those instruments and we would perform for the camp, like at the talent show. And like at the, during the like end of camp dance, we would sometimes play just like for fun. And those experiences were really, really formative for both of us. Uh, Just being in front of a live audience, getting that like great reaction playing music and have people dance is like, what a feeling. And we both kind of got hooked on that feeling. 
but weirdly never it was never like oh this is what we should do i wish we had had that thought you know when we were 12 and doing that we're like screw getting you know straight a's and trying to get into college or whatever like who cares we should do music we're really good at it but we didn't um we both were like extremely focused on our grades extremely focused on you know doing well impressing everybody as i said it's sort of the mo in my town do you think that your parents would have been okay with you pursuing music that hard sort of pushing academics to the side in pursuit of a music career like that or yeah, i don't know if they're it... so okay with it now even okay <laughs> <laughs> they're right downstairs i gotta speak in hushed tones on this podcast as i spill my guts uh yeah i i mean my parents they love us very much and they just want us to be happy uh but they also want us to be lawyers so <laughs> <laughs> so it sounds like a no <laughs> yeah i mean uh they'd be happy if I said to my mom and dad, this is what I want to do. And there's nothing that can stop me. And I'll be miserable if I don't do this, then it would be fine. I have a great relationship with them. I mean, I've been living with them for the whole pandemic, which is more than a lot of my friends have been able to manage. We do, we get along really well. And I, I love that. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But yeah, definitely growing up, I, especially in school, was like a very dedicated student extremely into my grades and all that and even in college it was like into doing well in class despite having this like whole other life of like being a musician and like being really into comedy and only like recently you know sort of when I entered the workforce and I'm doing air quotes right now was I like oh yeah that was all I mean I'm glad I worked hard and stuff but I'm like man if I had just started writing songs when I was 13, I'd be, I'd be even, I mean, I'm happy, very happy guy, but I'd be even happier if I had done that. Ah, I got regrets. <laughs> I got regrets. Ah. You're, you're still a young chap. You have <laughs> yeah. plenty of time. Uh, so you, you mentioned earlier um, being a, a mammoth alum, uh, yeah, yeah. college alum. Your brother also went there. Yes. Did you always know that you were going to go to Amherst College after he, I mean, you guys are attached to the hip, not literally, but pretty close. Yeah. Uh, we're more with, than friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, uh, was that, were there, I mean, uh, you know, besides Yale, which I guess was every on everyone's list in your neighborhood, yeah. were there other places that you looked at? So Michael went to, he like, got into Amherst. That was his dream school. He had wanted to go there his whole life. Always mm -hmm. wanted to go to Amherst. And he, he got in so wonderful has, is having like the greatest time. And he's telling me all about it. You know, I'm still in high school, but I'm hearing about this like amazing time that he's having. And that's very appealing to me, but also at the same time, I'm thinking, well, he's going there. We spent our whole lives together. Take, I had all the same teachers. I was always, you know, the young, Michael's younger brother. College is now the time for me to spread my wings, be my own guy. I'm going someplace else. Like I, I basically ruled Amherst off. I was like, it's a great school, but I'm not going to go there because he goes there and I want to go anyplace else. <laughs> and my high school 
music teacher was who changed this for me because we had a conversation one afternoon as I was sort of getting into very stressed out about the college application process. And this music teacher that I had, this band teacher was a very reserved guy. He didn't really have, you know, it was hard. I was like, he wasn't the easiest person to connect with as a teacher, even though he was, you know, a high school teacher, he was, you know, teachers like that, that are just sort yeah. of colder. But he just said to me sort of apropos of nothing one afternoon. And I had, I was, had his class like very end of the day. And it was like, as I was getting ready to like pack up my bag fully and go home, he said like, Hey, Josh, like, how's the, uh, how's the college search going along? And I was like blown away that he'd even asked me a, like a personal question like that. And I said, Oh, I don't know. You know, my, my brother is going to Amherst and it's a great school, but I got to go someplace else because I got to be my own person now. And then he said in response to that, well, you know, I have a brother and he and I are estranged from one another. Like we, we really don't talk. And it wasn't always like that. We used to be close, but we've fallen out of touch. And if I had had, if I had known this and been able to spend more time with him when I was younger, I absolutely would have. And he also knew my brother because he had also taken Ben. And he said, and you and Michael have such a great connection. And he said, you know, you, you just never know what, what could happen in the future. And that conversation, I mean, once I heard that, I went, I literally went home, sent in my application to Amherst and that was it. That's amazing. I love, yeah. I love stories like that. I, I find those moments because I have a couple that I think of in my own childhood that I often reflect on when people ask me about my past and growing up in Durham and stuff. And I tell a couple of these stories that I feel like are real inflection points. And I love hearing those from other people because that's what stories are, are built off of is those, those path changing, path altering moments. And um, do, you, do you still keep up with that, that teacher? Not at all. Okay. I mean, yeah, it sounds like, you know, he, he fulfilled his role in your character arc and then you turn the page and no, no you know, you hear from him no more, but uh, yeah, I have that but one he did his job. Yeah, absolutely. That one conversation changed the course of my life completely. We would not be friends if I hadn't had that conversation because I wouldn't have done the Amherst putty program if I didn't go to Amherst college. I wouldn't have started a band with my brother, which led to so many great opportunities. I had a knock on there. I wouldn't have, you know, made the documentary that I made my senior year, which NBC. Like, I, like, I don't know. My life would be just so different if I hadn't had that conversation. What was your second, uh, second place school? Where would you, where do you think you would have gone if not Amherst? I rem all I remember is that I had written. I didn't want to go to Brown because when I went on the tour, it was too hot. <laughs> like I was sweating on the tour and was like, I can't go here. It's too hot. I was a real diva, even back then. <laughs> it's too sweaty here. I can't go. Uh, that was my that was my takeaway from this Ivy League school, which is beautiful. I was like, no, not for me. Too hot. Um, I don't even know. I, on I only applied to Amherst. I didn't even uh, apply to any other schools after that because I just I got in early decision thankfully but I had written an application for Tufts and for Brown I think I wrote the essay anyway even though I knew I didn't want to go there so uh but yeah that was it was Amherst all that you uh 
wanted it to be, even though you were trailing Michael? I was trailing Michael, but it was, it was actually great. I, I had a wonderful experience there. I and mean, during the pandemic, I've become extremely nostalgic for it. Not, um, not all parts of it, but a lot of it, mainly the beautiful campus, the immediate access to nature that you have when you're there and the lifestyle, not the drinking every day lifestyle, which I did do <laughs> for a while, but more the community-based lifestyle, which is so lacking now in my life. And for a lot of people who have been in isolation for so long, and also maybe just anyone living in a, like an American adult life where you sort of like do your job, you go home, you like see some friends for dinner, then you uh, like go to sleep. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, right. Yeah, and, and maybe like you, not even that. Maybe not even that. Or like you just do, you go to your job, you go back home, you watch Netflix, you, you know, do whatever. And maybe occasionally you go on a, like a date with a stranger and then that's it, you know, but in, at Amherst and also in the Putney program that we did, everything was a community based, you know, you're in classes with other people, you're working on stuff together. And this was very different from my high school. This was my favorite part about the academic side of Amherst college was that my high school was so competitive because everyone was like jockeying for spots at good schools, which I now realize is like completely made up, but uh, it was so competitive to the point where if you, if someone like asked you for a question on the homework, like, oh, what'd you get for like number three on the calculus homework tonight? I can't figure out. There'd be a part of you in your brain just because we were all programmed this way to be like, oh, I don't want to help them because that way I'll be better in the class and I'll like the curve will be better for me, you know, whatever horrible bullshit. Like, but everyone <laughs> was, everyone was thinking like that. It was like a crazy, intense, competitive school, hyper competitive school that was psychologically damaging for sure. But and at Amherst, it was so cooperative. Like the teachers, the professors all encouraged us to like work together, have discussions, like work on assignments together outside of class, like discuss our papers with each other. So I would have conversations in the dining hall, like talking about my essay and like, what do you think of this? Oh, and they would, and they would raise a point and I would maybe think about it in a different way. And that was so cool. So the academics like felt more community-based, just the lifestyle, like having someone right down the hall who's like your best buddy, you've known them for three years, you go down and like, you just have a chat, you go back to your room, whatever. It's just like living together is so nice. And I miss that. I don't know. And I, I don't know how to create that again in an adult lifestyle. I don't know. I think I've read numerous articles at this point now during the pandemic about that exact thing, about how we maybe took for granted those opportunities for us to come together as a community. And, and to your point, when you become an adult, a lot of times those things are, um, it's a little bit harder to create a life where those things are happening on a regular occasion. Um, you yeah. know, for me, basketball has always been that thing. Has right. been, you know, for you, it sounds like music was a, uh, sort of an anchor of how you built community. And for me, it's always been sports and basketball in particular. And, and over the pandemic, that was the hardest thing I think for me was not being able to play pick up basketball. And it, yeah. it was part of it was the exercise and, and the sort of therapeutic nature of basketball for me, but then also yeah, not there are people who I like only saw 
you know, our friendship was largely built on us seeing each other two to three times a week for pickup basketball and not having that. It, it was really difficult to replace in mm-hmm. isolation. Um, I've been very grateful in the last couple weeks with, uh, you know, being able to play pickup again and with, with folks that are vaccinated, you know, out the weather's picking up here, it's outside, it's nice, you know, starting to see friends again. And, um, I think I have a new appreciation for that, that I didn't have before. And so yeah, I can imagine why that time at Amherst would be resurfacing right now in this moment that we're in. Oh yeah. It's, it's resurfacing. I'm, I got all kinds of issues, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, I think also even in non pandemic times or circumstances, it's still really hard to have a a community based lifestyle uh, unless you're in a cult or something (laughs) after, after you graduate from college. uh, It's like when I, before the pandemic, after graduation, I was living in an apartment in New York city. I had a, had a job and that in and of itself was kind of isolating it's just so different. And I felt like my whole life was like building up like the whole, that's the whole thing that you're taught like as a kid in a competitive sort of academically reaching town to be like, Oh, you gotta go to good. You gotta do well on your calculus homework. So you can go to a good college. You can get a great job. And then I got a great job and I was like, Oh, what? (laughs) That this is that what like it was just I was like I don't know I felt like I had there was there were moments and my job was very cool I was in the NBC page program which was on the whole super fun and great but there were also moments where I'd be sat at a cubicle literally just pushing emails around and doing spreadsheets I did that there was like a three-month stretch where I was doing that in an office with like no windows. I was right next to the bathroom, (laughs) like nine hours a day, just in the spreadsheet and becoming like genuinely depressed. And I was like, Oh my God, all that buildup was for this. It was like being on a, on my whole life, my whole childhood, I was on like a ski ramp going down, like building speed, building speed, building speed. Oh boy, here we go. Like college or like going even faster. Then here's like the jump. I graduated, but there then there was no ramp at all. It just like became flat. Yeah. That's how it felt. Um, and I was like, well, this is, this is fucked up. This is, this is, I'm screwed. This is boring. I, I, what happened? I was like, I thought this was going to be so fun, but it just wasn't that much fun. And in many ways, the pandemic and this whole thing of like starting to make content and find my voice as a musician and a comedian has been really, really wonderful. And I'm grateful for this because now I feel like I've found like another way to exist that isn't just being at a computer and then, well, I'm at a computer a lot, but being at a computer and doing something for someone else that I don't really like and having to Google like every couple of months, like entertainment jobs, New York, question mark. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, there was a lot there that I just rambled on about. No, that's great. Uh, What did you major in at school because you mentioned the documentary that you did your senior year while you were at Amherst uh but if I recall you were not a documentary studies major at Amherst no I I switched my major at Amherst about five times as one does yeah I I started off as a film student 
at Amherst. And because I was gifted and advanced, I, as a freshman, went right into like the upper level seminar of, uh, you know, the film program, this class called like Cinema Experiments, where we shot, uh, we learned how to shoot on film. We all had eight millimeter cameras and we would shoot these like really sort of abstract films and then develop them in dark rooms. And it was really, really cool. One of my favorite classes I ever took, but I took that as a freshman. That was like the, and the professor was brand new to the college and he didn't really know like what the story was. And so I said, yo, Hey, like what, what do I take after this? Cause I'd love to be a film major. And he said, well, this is kind of like the last course. So I guess you're done. And so I literally thought as a freshman that I had already fulfilled the major. So, <laughs> so then I just started taking like whatever classes I wanted because I thought that my major was already like taken care of <laughs> and I didn't have to worry about it. Then uh, my end of my sophomore year, someone says like, yeah, you really have no like focus at all. Uh, what, like, what's your major? You have to decide. You haven't fulfilled any requirements for any of the majors. <laughs> what are you going to do? And I was like, what are you talking about? I already did the film major. And they're like, that is not not how it works. Two whole years, I was convinced that I had finished the major already. And throughout that whole time, I was just taking random classes. I had just because I, I was taking random classes, but purely based on like passion and what I was interested in, not because, oh, you know, I really should take economics because that's a good thing to learn. Uh, I was just like, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in like Russian literature. I'm really interested in blah, blah, blah. And I took like all these random stupid uh, air quotes again, classes pointless classes that people would say would like, you know, like fun classes. And throughout that whole time, I realized that I had been taking these like French classes, French literature. I took like four of them. And then I was like, oh, wow, I'll just, uh, I'll major in that. Cause this, that was just what I was interested in. I had a knack for it. It was like reading these old French books and talking about them in French. And I really enjoyed speaking another language. So I was a French literature major, which everyone is like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I still, I still am too. I can't believe that that did happen, that I majored in French literature. Did you take French in high school? I did. I took French okay. in high school. Yeah. So my French was pretty good. And then by the time I graduated from Amherst, I was like really solid uh, in French. Now I'm worried it might be gone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, French is, people would say, oh, what's your major? And for a while I would say, French actually, like I would say, like not as a, as a joke that I'd written, but just a reflex. I was like, oh, well, actually it's French. As I would always qualify it by, with the word actually, but oh, what's your major? Actually, I'm a French major, like that. <laughs> and uh, as soon as I stopped doing that, I, I just, as soon as I changed the way that I was speaking about it, I became much more confident in it and in my choice. And then it led to like all these opportunities, really weird, just like sort of changing my perspective. Uh, and just the way you like present things to people, I learned is very important. Because I used to be like, oh, like, yeah, I majored in French, but it's okay because I, I took these other classes. <laughs> uh, and you know, the people say your major doesn't matter. But then nowadays I'm like, oh, I, I majored in French and I loved it. And that is actually comes off as kind of impressive and I, I'm proud of myself for doing it. It's interesting. And the documentary that you worked on was all oh, right. The question in France. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. No, it's it's good to ha to have the build up. So I uh, the documentary was for my senior thesis, which was uh, very on brand. It was about the history of the snare drum, and specifically, I I focused on France, 
during the time of the French Revolution, the French Revolution, what was like the role of music in the revolution, specifically the drum? Like essentially the thesis is about the metonymic function of the snare drum in the French Revolution as a galvanizing force. Like the drum that brings people together, gets people to march, you know, to storm the Bastille, to take back weapons or to like march to the wheat fields when there's a famine and like, you know, collect grain for themselves or whatever else. Uh, the drum as a gathering instrument, as a like a, um, a instrument of communication. That's what the thesis was about. And so I wrote, you know, 120 pages. And then I turned the last chapter into a documentary where I went to France and I studied uh, like French military drumming with the last living grandmaster of the French tambour style, who's like, was wounded in, in he was in the army and was wounded. So he like can't walk or see or hear, but he, he, can, he still teaches. And so the documentary is about me traveling to this like crazy remote place to take this one drum lesson. And it's, it's a real hoot. It's great. <laughs> and it's, it's just cool. me being like, oh, wow. <laughs> can people view it? Is it up somewhere that people can? You can watch the trailer on my YouTube channel. The movie's called Keeping the Beat. And, or in the French title is La Poursuite du Rhythme if I could throw my accent around. It was a, such a good time. And I also had a 103 fever during the, <laughs> during the big day of filming that I did. But yeah, that's because I was a little sick. Turns out French Tylenol is like four times as strong. I guess four times the acetaminophen that American Tylenol has. I overdosed on Tylenol, which was like really dangerous. I like almost died, but I made this movie. <laughs> uh, and it was such a great time and a great experience. It's interesting that you had uh, sort of this experience of taking all these seemingly random classes, started, but starting as a film film major in air right, yeah, yeah. And, and ending majoring in French, but still you, leveraging your film knowledge for your final, uh, final project, final, final thesis. And- well, most of the film knowledge came actually from the fact that I had a YouTube channel when I was in middle school. And so all my film stuff, like predominantly, like I took a couple of film courses where you learn like film theory and stuff. Uh, but most of that was learned on the job, making the dumbest ever YouTube videos as a middle schooler, because, uh, and people will be able to figure out how old I am from this, but just because we wanted to be like iCarly. Oh Yeah. In middle school because that show was like big right when we were in middle school and the kids in the show are in middle school we we're like oh they like they just have a youtube channel and they make videos and it's awesome and they're like the most popular people so that's me and my two best friends in middle school we just started making videos and we learned everything from youtube tutorials which is like a sort of hip modern way of kids like learning how to do stuff and that i learned so much from that and i still use those skills and it's still like such a cool thing that I, the YouTube channel is not cool, I, not cool at all. But the fact that we taught ourselves like how to use the gear and how to edit, we, we didn't like no one, our parents didn't know. We didn't have movie film teachers in, in middle school. Like we taught ourselves everything and that was really cool. And I'm trying to get back to that uh, place creatively now where if there's something that I wanna do but I don't know how to do it, that's not a barrier or, I can like, okay, I want to, 
I really want to write a, this is true. I really want to write a screenplay. Like a, I, I want to write a movie, like a full length movie, but I don't have that much experience. I've never written a full length screenplay. I've written scripts and a lot of sketches and shorter things, but I've never written really a full length screenplay. I'm trying to like not get to the point where like I have to study like screenwriting or whatever, just like to do it and learn how to do it by doing it, I think is a really valuable thing because it worked in middle school and I somehow unlearned that where I now, where I felt for a while, like, oh, I had to, you know, I got to learn music theory before I want to write a song. I got to do this before I do this. So I'm trying to get back to that childhood place and it's helpful being in my childhood home and all that, like mentally. I can totally relate to that because I too am in that place of wanting to grow creatively and feeling stifled a bit, but also recognizing that for me, you know, we had a, a PC in the house when I was in elementary, middle school, and I would spend so much time on it just doing what amounted really to nothing, but it was just getting, you know, opening a Word document and bolding font and changing fonts and changing font sizes and, you know, just learning how to do everything you could possibly do on Microsoft Word and then moving on yeah. to the next application and learning everything you could possibly do on Microsoft Paint or whatever. Right. And, uh, and yeah, and, and at a certain point, I don't know what it is, but it does seem like a lot of us lose that ability to just dive into some, to dive into the unknown and be okay with our, you know, I mean, I guess part of it is that we spend so much time trying to achieve, you know, to your point earlier about being super competitive in school, like you, you get to this point, you've been working so hard, you graduate college, you get a job, you're 23, 24, and you're like, I've busted my ass to get here. I don't really want to ever bust my ass ever again right. yeah. in that same manner. Yeah. Um, especially if it's a skill that's not related to something that you're maybe already doing, you know, it's a little bit easier if you, um, you know, work in audio production to pick up video production, maybe um, versus if you're, you know, working in audio production and want to learn a new language like that, those are totally different parts of the brain almost. And so like you're starting literally from square one Um and so, yeah. yeah, I can, I can understand why maybe that is a difficult hurdle for people, but if you can push past it, then it opens up the world in a way that, you know, you become, you know, unstoppable in, in some ways. Yeah. Unstoppable, unstoppable would be great. <laughs> uh, I feel like in middle school, I was so like in my own world, didn't care about anything like what, you know, what people thought, like I, like my clothes were disgusting. And like, I was just like, oh, gross kid. Uh, but also I was extremely creative in middle school. Like I, I wrote, I wrote music and I made all these movies that were awful with my friends. And I um, like had a little band with my neighbor. Like he, he played guitar and like we would jam and then we like performed in, in the middle school auditorium one time. And it was like, doing this like weird like jazz fusion thing which is like terrible but I, I looking back on middle school I had like all this creative output all of it was terrible but it was so much of it and I think it was because I wasn't afraid of it being awful and in high school became very concerned with like oh how are girls perceiving me how are my teachers looking at me how is my family looking at me uh you know all of that 
and in, in college still. And that's when I like, then I'm like starting to create less and less and less and less and learn less and less, even though I'm learning so much in my classes. But that's sort of been my goal with the Instagram and TikTok stuff, at least at the start. I was like, I'm just going to make some, I'm just going to start like posting videos and I don't care if they're bad. I'm just doing it because I'm doing it and it'll be fun. And that's, it really worked. I mean, you just able to get over that is a good thing to do. Do you think that it's harder now? And and you may be able to speak to some of this and I don't want to jump too far ahead on the the, uh, stuff you've been doing on Instagram and TikTok, but I am curious if now... You know, for me, if I were to make a goofy video as a kid, it's it sort of has a limited um, limited scope in terms of how many people like it, only the people that I want to see it will see it, right? Because how you know, without social media, there isn't this ability for things to uh, proliferate across the internet really quickly. Um, but now if you post something really cringe online, it can very quickly become this, the, you know, top trending thing on Twitter and not in a good way. And that could really affect your, your psyche and, and prevent you from being able to overcome that and get back out there and, you know, keep pushing forward. And, you know, you hear people that say, oh, I'm not affected by those things. Oh, those things don't bother me. And I just, I can't imagine that that's true for most people. Um, and so I wonder if social media has made that whole process of doing something really poorly in the beginning harder uh, because we're all doing it publicly all the time. Yeah. I, well, for me, I never had like a personal Instagram or anything growing up. And I started the Instagram just to make like kind of bad videos. I was like, I'm just going to make some videos because I don't know what else to do with myself. I'm home again. Uh, it's a, the world has ended. It's a pandemic. Uh, let me just make some silly videos to keep my mind sane and maybe like entertain a couple of my friends who know me as a silly, goofy idiot. So I started off doing it just with that sort of my middle school mentality of like, I'm just going to make something for the fun of it and put it up and who cares? And that was sort of what it was all about. And now that I have all these followers and all these people watch my stuff, I've definitely lost track of that. And I'm uh, not lost track of it, but it's sort of like the reason why I started it is now exactly, it's become exactly the opposite where I'm like, oh my God, if I post something, like so many people are going to see it. I got to make sure it's like incredible if it's going up on my Instagram. Uh, (laughs) And it's, it is like, it gets overwhelming and yeah, I'm still sort of struggling with that. It's it's difficult. There's a lot of pressure that gets put on you, but I mostly put it on myself. So I don't know. I don't. I wish I had the answer. My only, I guess, advice that I would try to give to myself would be: just who cares? We're all in a simulation anyway. It doesn't matter. We're on a rock in space, and like literally, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> that's. I mean, that's a great place to be able to to get to. Um, working on it. I'm working. I'm not there. I'm working on it. Yeah, I do want to circle back and uh, and talk a little bit about 
Putney, because I know that's mm. been um, an important part of your life the last few years, um, both as a as a student. I know we're not supposed to call them campers. Yeah, yeah as a student, students, yeah. <laughs> as a student of Putney Student Travel, and as a uh, teacher or a leader for the program as well. When what was the first time that you did Putney, and how did you find out about it? Yeah. And the listeners of the podcast, they know what Putney is already? Uh, yeah, they have some uh, idea because of, uh, I mean, well, yeah, maybe we should do a quick, like, quick intro. Yeah, Putney, plug for Putney. It's, it's, Not paying yeah. me for this. Maybe they should. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, come on. We got to get sponsored. This is my new uh, thing. It's like, if I'm doing anything, it better be sponsored. <laughs> I don't work for free anymore. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That was eight. That was three months ago. Now it's got. I should be getting paid for this, Justin. Come on, show, show me the money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Money talks, Justin. Come <laughs> on, it's all about coin. Putney is basically it's a grown-up summer camp for kids who aren't quite grown up yet. They, that is freaking brilliant. Well, I just, I just that's off the top of the dome. Jeez, <laughs> they should be paying us for this. <laughs> uh, man. That's I, I won't be able to top that for a few hours. Like, I'll make sure to cut that part out and send it in. Uh, <laughs> send it, send it right to them. Yeah. But basically, it's a it gives students the a ability, high school students, to sort of feel, get the experience of college before going to college. I did it when I was in high school, where I actually lived on the Amherst campus, and I took two like fun classes. Um, I think I took a music class and a creative writing class. Makes sense. And you, you, yeah, you live in a dorm with other, you know, people, other students your age who you meet and become friends with, and you have teachers and you do activities and it's great. Absolutely loved it. When, when I did Putney as a student, it's like for, for kids who are too old for summer camp, I did. So I did Putney, talked about summer camp before how I loved it. And it was very sad when I was too old to go. But when I did Putney as a student, I created this thing called jamming with Josh which is a, basically, I just said like, oh, tonight for tonight's activity, like we're going to have a jam session. And normally the faculty, not faculty, like the staff members would organize this. But as a student, I, I created this activity and I got people to sign up for my thing, which is so cool. Kids wanted to, you know, like, other kids wanted to hang out with me and play music with me. And I called it Jamming with Josh. And that stuck with me my whole life. My parents talk about it all the time. It's like the <laughs> story they tell other parents are like, oh, Josh, he did this thing when he was in high school. Uh, that was a great experience. Also taught me about how music can bring people together and also put the idea in my head that no matter how silly something sounds, if you have like presented with total conviction and you think it's cool, it is cool. That's it. Uh, and I absolutely apply that to all the stuff I'm doing right now, which is extremely silly and goofy, but I fully believe in it and I present it as like, this is something I love. It just makes it cool. That was a lesson I definitely learned at Putney. So then I went back as a teacher for three summers in a row and they were the best summers of my life, no doubt. And some of those were summers in between when you were a student at Amherst, right? Correct, yeah. It was my, in between my sophomore and junior year, my junior and senior year, and then the summer right after I graduated. So it was... Youngest staff member in Penny history, no big deal. <laughs> I remember seeing that plaque hanging on the wall in the, yeah. uh, at the barn. <laughs> it's still there. It's in, it's in wrought iron. They, they carved it in. 
everyone needs to know. Yeah, so this particular program, um, the pre-college program, the one that you're talking about is sort of specific to like, I want to say specific to academics, but it is, as the title would suggest, focused on getting students prepared for college or thinking about, you know, what they're going to potentially major in in college or just what campus life is going to be like. Putney does offer other programs um, that some of them are service-based. You know, you can go to a place like Costa Rica and do um, essentially what is like mission work uh, sort of mixed in with academic. Um. This is really, I mean, this should be sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, one of, we, we, one of these- we both love, like we both love it so much. Um, it was, I mean, we had such a good time together. I still think about it all the time. Like really some of my closest friends are from that. Not from when I was a student, uh, but the camaraderie that you have with the other teachers. I mean, like we've only spent, we really only spent one summer together and we're still like close friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, talking about uh, inflection points in people's lives earlier, that one for me is, is a very big inflection point. Um, because for me coming into the into the program, I I want to say everyone else that summer, 2018, had done Putney at least once before. And I remember coming in and my only reference point for Putney was my friend Sammy Feldblum had done Putney once before, not pre-college, but had led one of the um, one of the other travel programs. And I and I just left my job with the clothing business with, with runaway and runaway, I still have the sticker. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Still repping. I, I still rep them very often uh, or us. I don't know if it's still us. Um, I don't get a check, so I guess it's not us, but, but yeah. And, and I just was, was not really sure what I was going to be doing uh, after that. Cause I had been doing the clothing company for so long and uh, and it was so, and I, and I had never really left Durham either. I was such a home sort of homebody. I'd been in Durham my whole life and to spend those seven weeks uh, in, you know, on campus at Amherst with, with you all was, yeah, really it, it, it opened my eyes to think like to who I was as a person, to people outside of my usual orbit. Uh, it, it was, it allowed me to fulfill this growing interest in teaching, um, that I had had, uh, and yeah, it just was like incredibly fun. I mean, I, I genuinely think about it every day of my life. <laughs> like it's, it was just the greatest time. And, and one of the things that I, I think about often, I, I kind of wish I could have had a, a redo on it, to be honest, but you sort of morphed uh, or transformed the jamming with Josh into these uh, coffee house talent shows, essentially. And, and something that I, I guess I'm very proud of myself because I was not someone who enjoyed performing, um, but I had the pleasure of being the front man for a rendition of Roxanne uh, with the, <laughs> with the Harmon I, Brothers how could I forget? backing band. Yeah, and uh, and to this day, I'm like I, I am actually really excited now to go do karaoke because like I think I I want to redeem myself a little bit and just yeah. go there and, and smash it. So uh, <laughs> well, you can. thank you for that. <laughs> That was so much fun. And also, I think it's the same thing. It's just, it's one, it's like just not caring. There's no pressure, just like genuinely having fun. And when you're in that sort of zone, just the best version of yourself comes out. 
And that right. is something that we we often would say to the students that I think is part of this experience with Putney is coming in without preconceived notions of what what to ex well I mean they have some idea of what to expect but sort of letting your guard down and yes. and just saying like I'm gonna and it's not a cult just it's not a cult, not a cult. <laughs> not a cult. <laughs> uh, but the, but the idea is that you would come and be able to express parts of yourself that maybe you don't feel comfortable in your home life for whatever right reason, because there are all these things whether it you know it's social pressures at home you have all this baggage from being in school with people that you've known your whole life and you you know you're not able to fully be who you want to be because of all those things and and at Putney not just for the students but often for the teachers as well there's this opportunity to yeah uh, unlock these other parts of your personality which I think is really powerful and yeah like you said I think about it very often and it's community-based which is what we were talking about earlier you're with other people constantly you're in nature you are working together to create a society essentially and it's such a magical thing that I haven't been able to find elsewhere where like all the staff members are working together to give all these students like a, a great time and to bond with each other and to teach and enrich these students lives. And just because you're working on a common goal together, it just brings out the best in everyone. And it's so fun. It's just great. The time flies and you never want to go to sleep. You're just having so much fun. And I really want to find a way to do that with, my life in a way that isn't just like teaching high school students yeah. for the summer program, yeah. even though I probably will do it again at some point. The stakes are a little different and the atmosphere is a little different than your typical, you know, school year uh, classroom setting, which, uh, you know, is a whole different conversation about the education system in the United States <laughs> that we right. can maybe have <laughs> yeah. a time. So we, we've hinted at this, uh, what you've been up to recently a little bit throughout the podcast. Um, but I want to dig into that a little bit uh, because yeah, you have become somewhat of an internet sensation through these drum. We hit the big time. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will take just a small bit of credit uh, yeah. for your success. I, I don't know what, what part exactly. <laughs> I'm not very funny and I don't play drums, but something in there is uh it's all you yeah what what part of it what what are you taking you got take credit by all means but Uh, stage presence maybe yeah stage presence yeah it was that it was that talk right before the coffee house funny you slapped me across the face two times and said (laughs) you can do this (laughs) i'm gonna make you a star go out there uh yeah i owe it all to you justin uh you know just when you win a, a grammy or emmy or or whatever I guess you could win if it's music and television. You could really, you're up for all these things. Oscars, Emmys. EGOT. Can't sleep till I get an EGOT. <laughs> uh, just, you know, drop my name. You know, nothing nothing crazy. Just, you, it doesn't have to even be in context. Just at the very end of the speech <laughs> and you're done. Just say Justin Laidlaw and Justin walk Laidlaw. off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Tell, tell folks exactly what, what this, um, is it a show? How would you describe it? What is this thing that you're doing now 
all over the interwebs? I would, what am I doing? I actually ask myself, I ask myself that question every day. What the hell am I doing? <laughs> I would say that it is a, it started off as a series of videos and it's content. That's the word everybody uses now. Content. Yeah. Content. I, and people say that I'm an influencer and I really eschew that term because I'm not trying to influence anyone's behavior. I'm just trying to have a good time myself and, you know, make some funny stuff. So, yeah, I don't know what it is exactly. I don't, I don't think I have to know what it is, but basically I started a viral video series it was not viral uh, at the very start, but it's a video series called rhythms of comedy. Essentially I combined two of my main interests, music and comedy, stand-up comedy, and put them together where I take clips from stand-up comedians or great movie scenes. And I use the drums to analyze the comedic timing and the delivery. And that's that. I've since evolved it. I did about 30, 32 episodes of it, of like the original format. And then I evolved it so now I take scenes from cartoons or other movies and I recreate the sound effects of those scenes using the drums. And that has become sort of its own, own thing, uh, which is even more popular than the first thing. So I'm it's just- A subgenre you know, of the rhythms of comedy. Rhythms of comedy, yeah. I brand the whole umbrella drum comedy. That's a, a, just like the thing I'm doing, it's drum comedy. <laughs> which is pretty unique. I mean, I can't say that I had ever- seen anything like that before uh i mean the closest thing that i can really think of watching that is similar i don't know if you've seen reggie watts oh his, his ted talk i was i was actually i was actually watching reggie watts today i watched an interview with him he was a huge influence on me that ted talk the one where he disorients you in the most wonderful way or i think yeah. it's called yeah i saw that video and it just like sent me flying out of my childhood bedroom on a rocket because I was like, Oh my God, this is incredible. Never seen anyone perform like that. It's comedy, but it's, it's music. Like, is it comedy? Is that his real voice? Wh who is he? What is he trying to say? I don't know what he's trying to say, but I love it. And I couldn't get enough. I consumed every single Reggie Watts video on YouTube like multiple times, all his Conan appearances, all his albums, like everything. Huge influence on me just because he has his own style. That's like, it's like Dada. It's just unbelievable. Have you ever met him? No. We you, that set that up. Come on. I know. What's funny is he, he performed here in Durham for uh, this music slash tech festival called Moog Fest, um, mm. named after the Moog uh so oh, Moog. Oh, Moog. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, it, it is Moog, but my, I always thought it was Moog because I'd never heard anyone say it. I'd just seen it in videos. And I was with a bunch of musicians once and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get the Moog on this. And they were like, whoa, it's, it's Moog, bro. <laughs> That's a faux pas I made. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's Moog. You're, you're, you're right. <laughs> he, he performed here and, uh, and I, I did not have the pleasure of meeting him either, but, but he must know somebody that knows somebody that I know. So come on, of separation are, are small. Yeah. 
he's uh he and this other guy who I've gotten into recently named Mark Rebier. Mm. Uh, Familiar. They're, they're friends. Oh, he's amazing too. He's just a funky guy. He's a funky, he's a funky guy, you know? Uh, he just like does not care what anyone thinks. So unapologetic. So just freaking awesome. Ah, oh, I love him. I think the first video of his that I saw, and this is probably true for a lot of people, was in the, I want to say it was like a bar, a coffee shop, and... The, the set that he does is like really sexually explicit. Oh, it's so, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh it's my really, God. Really good. I love that because the music is genuinely very good. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't want to say this because it's like um, didactic, but it's like very musically valid. You know, the music is super good and groovy and funky and the chords are nice and his feel is great. But also on top of that layered on top is just his like irrepressible, hilarious personality, which is so great. And it's the two of those things together that makes the magic. And Reggie has that too, where it's just like this character on top of something that's artistically so good creates this like it's one plus one equals three and it sends it to the moon. Do you think that how much does having these independent platforms? So, so you've, um, we didn't, I don't think we've covered this yet, but you've done a little bit of work with, uh, with like major TV studios in New York. Yeah. Um, and typically I feel like in a, you know, with a guy like Mark Rebier, there is like a track for him that eventually leads to some, spot on television that was that's sort of like the original uh if you you know if you did uh if you wanted to work in entertainment it it was sort of boxed into making it onto television or just doing like tons of live events i guess um but now there are these outlets through social media uh for better or worse where somebody like mark rebier can just dominate on youtube and have no need for Absolute YouTube domination. <laughs> <laughs> he he doesn't have, there are no uh, gatekeepers that prevent him from, from doing exactly what he wants to do. And yeah, the doors have been totally blown off the whole thing. The doors have blown off. The wheels have come off the wagon and we're on an ice rink. There's no friction either. It's just like, everything's like a total mess. <laughs> it's totally wide open. It's the wild west. It's open season, which is, it's exciting, but it's also like, oh man. Do you, do you find that it's, um, that without that structure, I guess that's that a studio or sort of a more, uh, like a legacy, um, out entertainment outlet provides, do you think not having that has its pitfalls as well? Like when you're coming up with content ideas or just thinking about like, okay, now that I've actually made this thing, I have to think about when I'm going to post it, what's the best time to post on Instagram, you know, oh, I didn't make any content today, like better do that, because then the algorithm won't like me if I don't and sort of all well, the yeah. things that come with being an independent creator. I think, well, there, there's like, social media has many, many pitfalls, like you were just talking about, like algorithm considerations, and am I posting and yada, yada, yada. But also, sort of the new way that the entertainment industry functions as a result, it make there's no roadmap anymore for anyone which for some people is great other people who maybe need more structure it's not so good 
For example, Jerry Seinfeld talks about how he would watch The Tonight Show and he would watch Johnny Carson and he would see these great comedians up, you know, performing and he'd be like, I'm going to get on The Tonight Show and do my set. And that was his goal for such a long time. And he's like, I'm not only going to get on The Tonight Show once, I'm going to get on three times a year minimum and I'm going to kill every time. And that's my goal. And I'm not going to stop until I'm doing that. That's, it's like, okay, that's where I'm, I'm now Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's where I'm going. And I have like a, I've got blinders on and I'm going to go towards that goal and I'm going to run as fast as I can in this lane. But now with just like social media and everything, it's like, where is the target? What are, what are you, what are people working towards? Like, it would be cool to say like, oh, my goal is just like to get on TV, but that is not really even like that big a deal anymore. You know, uh, becoming like less was, and less of a deal, I think every day. Right. Um, I was, I performed live on the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon, which is like a huge deal. That's incredible. It's incredible. It was unbelievable. It was like, I couldn't believe it happened to me. I was so honored. It was so fun and so weird. Uh, but also almost nothing came of it. Like, um, a couple of viral TikToks did way more for me than performing on this institution of entertainment. And I was hanging out with a comedian named Mark Normand this past week, who's done all the shows and he's incredible. He's one of my favorite standups. You know, he's done all the television shows and he says, yeah, it's great. You can you know, tell your mom that you did it and she's really happy. Uh, you know, your parents can, can watch and it's, it's wonderful, but it doesn't move the needle. He said anymore, like it used to, you do one podcast and it's, it's, <laughs> it's much better. That's what he said. So that's what we're banking yeah, on. Like, but I think, I think, I guess it's good in that you really have to ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? What am I doing? What are my goals? It's harder to come up with the goal, I guess. I don't know exactly what my goal is right now. It's and not like, oh, I, I am going to keep doing this like drum comedy until I, well, I don't even know. It's like, it already is like, it's, it already is a thing. I don't know. I got to figure out where to go from here. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, that's probably true, not just in entertainment, but I imagine entertainment is, is you know, there's something unique uh, because of all the different outlets that we have now for entertainment. Um, but you're right that like the, the, you know, the thing that you're working on or the thing you're creating doesn't necessarily have to lead to these institutions. They just become the institutions themselves. You know, you create a cool brand uh, on, you know, on social media or on YouTube or something like that. And like that becomes, you know, Mark Rebier doesn't need a show on FX, like his YouTube oh, channel. But if he had the- one, <laughs> oh, I would watch it and I would write for it and produce it and I would do everything. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you don't, yeah. Uh, you don't, you, you can create your own brands and institutions and, and yeah, you absolutely can, that, um, you know, afford you the same opportunities to get, to have an audience that yeah. the legacy brands previously offered. And to your point, like maybe don't even offer anymore. And so it is hard to figure out what is, what is the end game for this? And, but thankfully there are, you know, you have more choices maybe than you did before as well. So if you do yeah. have a vision, you're not impeded as much by those 
institutions. Yeah, I am currently, you're catching me in a moment where this is the main thing on my mind of trying to figure out what is my vision? What is my goal? And as you can tell, I'm sort of like spacing out as, as I'm asking these questions because I don't really know at the moment. I think um, you're supposed to just much, put this much, up on like an Instagram poll and then you just have your followers. Right. Yeah. They just do. tell me, they tell me what, make more noises. That's what they want me to do. Like I, I did a video where I was like, uh, like actually playing the drums and people were like, no, no, no. We need more sound effects. You clown make, make the weird sounds clown <laughs> perform for us. That was fun. But um, yeah, I don't know. The other thing with social media is that you can never be satisfied. It is like eating incredibly salty food. It just makes you like want more of it. Uh, You're saying as a creator or a consumer or both? Well, as a consumer, it's just the worst. I don't know why anyone would ever like <laughs> be like, I want to, <laughs> I want to consume more social media because uh, they're designed nefariously to be addicting. That's sort of their whole thing so that, the, so that people will spend more time with them so that they'll see more ads so that they'll make more money. Does that rub up against your ethos at all uh-huh yeah <laughs> i mean, I, mean I, I, I struggle with the same thing the way i square it for myself is that i'm like i so i don't really i don't use my social media for any personal stuff it's like strictly professional for the performing that i want to do for like the content personality that i'm putting forward it's like not I never post like, oh, like out with my friends, like check or like pose my, or like what I'm eating or where I am. Like, I don't do any of that. It's like just for the content and the, you know, Josh Harmon as the business. That's what it is. So that's how I kind of separate the two. And I'm just using it as a platform where I can put a little more joy into the world, even though the platform itself might be at times evil or um negatively affecting a lot of people my place on it i try to construct in such a way so that i'm a positive influence i am again not influencing people's behavior but just like putting a little bit of joy out there having a having some fun and i don't know maybe even teaching something along the way that's it yeah i do hope that that uh it, it does seem like that is the tension with social media is that it can be this incredibly powerful platform for good when it's galvanizing folks around political movements or yeah, or just bringing joy to people, um, especially during, I mean, I'm sure people's social media usage skyrocketed during the pandemic. And so having those yeah. opportunities, those connections, you know, having people that you can make connections with and consuming content that restores your faith in humanity uh, can be really helpful in isolation. But yeah, at the same like, time, uh, it can go in the complete opposite direction and be a total pitfall. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, the issue is that if you're a creator, you also have to be a consumer because right. you open up the app and you're consuming it. Like just today, I went to like respond to some like DM inquiries that have come in, you know, like brands wanting to whatever, whatever, whatever. And then I'm like, as I'm trying to do this like professional thing for myself, I'm seeing like photos of my friends hanging out without me. This is literally happened today. And then I feel like garbage, you know? So like, why is this thing that I'm trying to like, why is my, I guess my place of work, I guess you could, I guess you could call it a toxic workplace. Yeah. You know, that shouldn't happen. 
Like if, imagine if you went to your office and as soon as you got there, your boss just like showed you like everything that was wrong with your body and everything like, and just like movie reels of like everyone in your life hanging out without you. Or just like <laughs> right when you walk in the door, that like, that would not happen. That's a legal nightmare. That's like you, that, that, that office would get shut down. And yet that's the experience of being a social media person, like a, someone who's trying to make money or trying to like put their art forward on social media. That's the experience. It's insane. Yeah. That is an incredibly on point analogy. I had never thought about it. I mean, I, I do think about it as a work tool, but not quite, you know, that, yeah, that is very vivid for me. And I'm sure for lots of other people that don't hear this. So, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, if you're, <laughs> you, you stand in your cubicle and your coworker just like everybody goes, you're fat. <laughs> Are we saying that yeah. didn't happen before? Oh, I mean, well, I used to, I mean, it's honestly a step up from where I used to work, which was literally in the bathroom, uh, <laughs> like on this spreadsheet. But the other thing that I was saying before is like, you can never be satisfied. So I, I got, I hit a million followers on TikTok and I was like, oh my God. This is so cool. I can finally relax. I hit a million. That was my goal. But then it's like, suddenly it flicks like 1.1 million. And I'm like, oh shit, let me see if I can get two. And then I remembered uh, that, you know, I felt, I actually felt the same way when I hit 20,000. I was like, well, you know, once I hit 20,000 followers, that's like, an, that's enough. That's like so many people. That's incredible. I can like stop checking my analytics because I've like had a great success. And that never happens. You are constantly wanting more, constantly. You just can never, it's just like, there's no feeling of fullness ever with it. And I don't know if that is something that like, I guess if you're like doing a puzzle and you finish the puzzle, then you feel like I accomplished this task and now it's over. But I, I find that sort of, I wish it was more just like a video game where it's like you hit 500,000, it's game over. You won. Congrats. Like go do something else, but it, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny you use that. Uh, the video game analogy because now even video games you finish them and they're like oh guess what we've got like a new expansion pack coming out in two months that <laughs> right. you know yeah. you have to like we're gonna jack you right back in and uh and and social media is absolutely like that where i mean you know unfortunately there are only so many nice round numbers and so you hit the nice round number and then as soon as it inches over into 1.1 ah, territory yeah, it's like oh it's, shit it's <laughs> for the satisfying nature of it I yeah. really try not to, it's fun. Like I enjoy celebrating like those follower milestones, but really I try to celebrate the, like, I'm more proud of that. I made some good videos than I have this many followers. Like when I think about the overall experience of it, I'm like, man, that's a really cool video I made. I'm super proud of that. It's very unique and it feels very me as opposed to, oh, fuck yeah, I got 200,000 followers in one weekend. That's unbelievable. Uh, even it's like a nice ego boost or whatever, but it's, it's, it's shallow at a, at a certain point. You just have to start yeah, blocking people. As soon as you hit 1 million followers on TikTok, you just need to block everybody else. After you gotta that. Block everybody. Yeah. Just shut it down. Or just like say something horrible. Like just like, you know, do a rant on Israel, Palestine. That way you never have to post again. Cause you'll get canceled. <laughs> Uh, okay. I think I've had you for quite some time now. Um, and I did tell you that I would let you off the hook at a meaningful oh, hour. It's fine. I've had to but, pee for like the entire time as well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, if you, if I, I can go a little longer, I'm having a good time. I'm like warmed up. I'm warmed up. I'm wearing this sweat, like this sweater. So I'm, I'm like sweaty. I'm fully loose. We can keep going if you, if you want and do like 10 more minutes. Yeah. Let's yeah. Well, I, I do have a couple questions. Yeah. Um, that I've I'm going to hold it for you. I'm holding it. still. <laughs> uh, you mentioned being interested in writing a screenplay. Oh yeah. I'm curious if you are at a point where you would be willing to share maybe, maybe not this particular screenplay idea that you have, but if you could write a screenplay and have it greenlit and, and get all the funding and everything, there were no sort of barriers to creating it. What would you want to, to write about? Uh, I'm so like, this is my high school self coming out, but like, I don't want to tell anyone my ideas. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have an idea, which I've come up with sort of recently, which I'm really now passionate about. And I'm like, this is an idea that I could see becoming a full script, a full movie. And so I'm trying to just like write it. The problem with writing is that it's sort of terrifying. Um, and you really have to, like I sit down to write and then instantly I'm like, oh man, I'm alone with my thoughts. Let me check Instagram and see how my videos do. Like, ah, then it's over. I lost the afternoon. <laughs> you gotta, I actually, I bought an iPad for myself, which like doesn't even connect to, like it's not connected to the internet or anything. It's just like uh, basically like a journal, but I'm, mm. I can't even handwrite anymore. I have to type everything because I'm, in, I'm, I'm, the uh, same incom way. I'm incompetent. So I bought it, spent all this money uh, so that I could have like a productivity machine for writing and I have only used it to watch episodes of this British TV show in bed. <laughs> so that's how, that's how the screenplay is coming along, which is very slowly. But I have this idea and I'm like, if I don't do this, it's a disservice to myself because I really like this idea. So I'll keep you posted. We'll circle back around for episode two on that one. I mean, yeah. I get it. I think we need like uh, creators... AA meetings or something because it's so hard to in um, amongst all the things I mean I, I find this to be true every day where I know I have these little pockets of time throughout the day that I'm like I have to, this is the time that I have to be hyper productive and creative because I've got other obligations during the day whether it's part-time job or cooking dinner or socializing so that I can you right. know, have friends for the rest of my life. And, uh, but you have these little spaces where you're like, okay, this is my hour to just crank something out. And if you're not, if it doesn't click in that moment, then you have like nothing to show for your, for your time. You like have to, it's, it's hard to get into that mentality in, in the time that you have to be productive and, right. Yeah, all the time. I just, well, I open John, up my phone. Uh, and... John Cleese from Monty Python has a great book on creativity. And it's sort of, it's sort of about the mind and how it works. It's kind of pop psychology, but he wasn't Monty Python. So he must know something. And he talks about how, and this has been kind of an influence of mine. And it is the way that I've come up with a lot of ideas for my videos, where you just have to let the brain work by itself. Like you in your little skull have a supercomputer. How sweet is that? It can do the most advanced calculations in the universe if you just let it go on its own. It can figure out, you know, have you ever been, I don't know, writing something or you're working on uh, like your, I don't know, what is something that you might write, like a blurb or like for your clothing brand, you're like writing up like the description of the, of the product and you can't quit, get the wording quite right. And then sort of like as you're going to bed, ah, oh, 
that's what it ha- I had. I not think of that before. Right. It comes to you when you least expect it. A shower thought is another term for it. Basically, if you can get out of your own way, those thoughts just come naturally. And Stephen King has that quote. It's like, you just want to be at the typewriter when inspiration happens to strike, if you're lucky enough. And I, so, and I'm no expert because I haven't been able to really write the screenplay and I've been watching British television, (laughs) but I think it's just about like freeing yourself and not being like, this is my time and I have to be creative now. Cause I've, I do that too. And then I just get so frustrated when, not, when nothing comes out and I'm like, oh, I'm such a loser. I'll never, you know, I'll never do this. So it, it's, it's really tough. You just have to get over that. And then also not be afraid that it's going to be bad, which is a huge thing of mine that I've, I'm trying to work on all the time. Yeah. I have been trying the, the, the process that I've been trying to go through more recently, especially for writing more than anything is when the inspiration does hit, just write down, even if it's four words, just in yeah. my notes app on my phone. Cause I know that I'll have my, you know, sometimes I won't be at my computer, but I know for a fact, my home, my phone will be at my hip at all times. And so when the inspiration does hit, just really quickly put something down so that I don't forget it, but not feel obligated to write, you know, 500 words immediately. Right. Um, and, and sometimes the ideas are trash and they, you know, I think in the moment that they're brilliant. And then I read them the next day and I was like, oh yeah, that was really dumb. I'm glad yeah. that I didn't post that yet. Um, and so, but, but, but then you get, tra- I mean, the phone, it's so easy uh, to just yeah. open it but, up and say, you're going to write notes and instead open up Instagram or text friends or do all the things that I do every time. <laughs> if you're like, when you're in a creative state, the brain has, uh, like gamma waves going, I think. And that's like the energy that the brain is emitting when you're in a creative state. If you get distracted, any small distraction, it takes eight minutes to get back into that same creative state. Eight minutes. It's kind of a long time. So like if you are, you you sit down to write and you like get a sentence out and you kind of like check Instagram, that's not just checking Instagram. You just lost eight minutes before you're going to be able to get back into that same state. So imagine doing that. Like if you check Instagram three times, that's nearly, you know, it's nearly a half hour. Yeah. And that's, you know, in the hour that you might've given yourself, that's a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Like the most important thing, which I'm trying to do. And honestly, it's really hard because then you have to face that fear of like, Oh, I'm going to be alone with my thoughts. Oh, I may think something I don't want to think. Uh, you just have to get over that. And this is advice I'm giving myself now on this podcast. You're like, Josh, you should do this. Just remove all the distractions. And when you feel that feeling of like, uh-oh, uh, no, this is hard. If you can just push through that. And this is advice that uh, this comedian, Mark, gave me as well. You just push through that. If you're able to get over that little hump, then it'll, it'll, it'll be better. Sort of opens the floodgates. Yeah. Yeah. But always like when you're doing anything that feels like hard or maybe even dangerous a little bit, your body's natural reaction is like, ah, don't do that. Which is, it happens to me like when I'm trying to write, I get this like kind of nervous feeling like, oh man, what if I am like shit? What if I am stupid? Uh, I don't, I don't want to know. I don't want to know if I'm bad. And then I just don't. <laughs> if you can get past that, if you can like not care, that's going to be awful. Not care about like the own pressures that you put on yourself. I think that's how you get somewhere. So a year from now, I'm going to have a screenplay adjusted. I promise. I'm so excited for that. 
that's yeah i feel like for me in social media and stuff if my followers are listening i'm sorry to disappoint but the thrill is kind of gone for me like i had a video i've made a video that has gotten hundreds of millions of views all around the world on network television everywhere like people in kurdistan are like this is the biggest thing here <laughs> you know it's like a huge huge thing and i've you know like videos gone viral famous people have yada 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 i don't know it's just like i've accomplished so much and i feel so proud of all that and now i'm, I'm now i'm sort of left like well then why like what's left on social media like and i don't really want to just be grinding like some crackhead to like get the high of like getting more followers and like oh this video is going viral and that makes me feel good because of the dopamine it's not really good for creative stuff like i'm just gonna end up like in this rut so i'm trying to figure out what to do next what am i doing what's the point of all this yeah and it's a hard pivot when you know it sounds like the video you mentioned of you just drumming and people are like hey no actually we want that other thing it's like hard once you become known for this one yeah and blow up in this one space to then pivot to to something else and bring that audience with you and to, to make that transition totally. with you. Yeah, there's pressure to like maintain it. Like you got to post like this amount of time where people forget about you uh, on follow or whatever else. Uh, I can't have that. You know, I got to keep evolving it. Like Jordan Peele, amazing sketch comedian. What a like what a talent, Key and Peele. He could have just done sketch comedy for the rest of his life and been incredible. But he like just took it to the next level and made Get Out. Oh, that's sweet. Or like Bo Burnham. He was making vines and then he like became an incredible stand-up comedian. And then he like then made these amazing specials, which make you think, and he challenged the form. And then he like pushed it even further and made eighth grade. Right. It's like this continual evolution is very inspiring to me. And I'm trying to do the same, but it's hard to do because I don't know what the next step is right now. So you're catching me at this like weird point where I'm just sort of trying to figure out who I am and what it's all about. I, I have a remedy for that. Oh, please uh, help me. I think we should get the band back together and oh, teach Putney one more time. <laughs> I'm in. I'm absolutely in. Yes. I, that's, that sounds terrific. 2022 dream team. We're all doing it. Start making the calls. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much uh, for being on the show. This was really fun to catch up. I, it's nice that I can sort of pair my job and the joy of friendship. The, the, jo- <laughs> the joy of friendship. Shared space. <laughs> that should be the name of the podcast. It might be. <laughs> the joy of friendship. Um, well, it certainly is a joy, Justin, to be your friend and to chat. This is a lot of fun. I talked at you a lot, but I feel like we had a good time. Great conversation. <laughs> I'm a little sad that I missed Michael only by a couple hours. It would have been nice to have him drop in, but maybe, maybe uh, I'll have to give him a ring and see if he'll make this a two-parter. He, he's got time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would love to talk to you. We're both weird Justin fans till we die. When are you coming up to, up to this area? I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping this podcast takes me around the world. So it oh, could, be, uh, could Dude, be very live, soon. Live episodes all over the place. Sell tickets and stuff. That's, Audiences are back, baby. That's that's the hope. That's that's what I'm what I'm aiming for. That's what those 10,000 hours are moving towards. So 10,000 hours. Well, if you need a live drum comedy during the podcast, give me a call. 
<laughs> where uh, where can people find you online? Where should they track down Josh Harmon? Instagram is a great place. Uh, if you got TikTok, it's Josh Plays Drums over there. Instagram is where I do a lot of like behind the scenes kind of situations. Um, in my stories a lot, you can interact with me. You can even send me a DM, pretty active in there. So you, just, you can look me up on Instagram, Josh Harmon, you'll find me. It's, I have like a little pink profile picture and then TikTok, Josh Plays Drums. And that's, that's good. I also have a YouTube channel, which I'm trying to grow. Just my name, Josh Harmon. Uh, so that's, that should be getting started with some maybe longer content coming at you. So those are the three places, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Josh Harmon, just look me up and have a grand old time. Brilliant. Uh, well, thanks again, man, for, uh, for being on the show. We'll make sure folks get all those links in the show notes and everything too. And uh, I look forward to seeing you real soon. 2022, dream team, dream team, lock it in. We've made a binding agreement now. <laughs> I mean, I'll talk to you soon. Bye, Justin. Take care.